This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Shake them ropes, new decade, who dis? Jeff Hawkins here along with Chris Novembrino, as per usual. We are still in the holiday vacation mode in WWE in some ways. In some ways, we're just gearing up for the big run to the Rumble. Chris, I'm going to start it this way. Here's something that blows my mind, and they do this all the time with me in some ways. 2000 is now as far away as 1980 was in 2000. And those seem like two vastly different decades to me versus 2020 and 2000. You know, it's one of those things where someone once brought up, I think uh, a few years ago, that uh, Welcome to the Jungle is just as old right now as Love Me Do was when Welcome to the Jungle was released. And you're just like, holy crap. It seems like things changed at a far more rapid rate in the 80s and 90s than they did in the 2000s. Well, I think at least as I look at it, the big inflection point for the way we look at society right now was in 2001, like in the United States, obviously, after 9-11. And I think that created a lot of changes really rapidly. And we're still kind of coming out of the shock of that. Because if you think about like the way 1999 was versus 2002, those seem like two completely different worlds. So like there, wa- there was a change. You know what hasn't changed since 1999? <laughs> Wrestling um, WWE's, and the WWE. <laughs> WWE's values and sensibilities. Yes. If you had <laughs> let me do the lead into this show, I had prepared uh, NWA stuck in the late 1980s, WWE stuck in the late 1990s, and AEW is somewhere in the 2000s right now. That was going to be my little lead-in gimmick. No, I loved glomming a old Doug Stanhope joke whenever I heard, like, They'd say that some like when when Lagana used to do the uh, we want wrestling interviews with all the writers and they'd pitch an idea and they go, oh, you've set the business back 30 years. I'd be like, great. Send me there. The promos were better. The violence was more real. (laughs) Please take me back to the 1980s. I have no problem with that. No, it's just, we're just kind of in a dead zone a little bit. There is some things to go over, but, uh, you know, this is going to be kind of a fun, loose show, I think, more or less. All right. But can we lead off with the awfulness that was the end of Raw? Sure. This is what WWE's main roster product is going to be bread and buttering around for a while, I suspect. I think Vince is enjoying this, and I think until someone at the network tells him to stop, the kind of tasteless Jerry Springer angles are going to be back in a serious way. Chris, here comes the people who are going to tell you the YouTube numbers. They're going to come and they're going to say, it got 3.1 million views all around the world. That's my point. I'm not disagreeing with those people. You hit me with your numbers. The bigger they are, the stronger my argument gets. I don't think, yeah, and and my problem is I don't think YouTube numbers correlate to business. I think it's people who, number one, want to just watch certain parts for free as opposed to paying for cable or investing three hours into it. And I also think it's a lot of uh, worldwide views versus American you know, Americans who, you know, are going to plop down the money to pay for WWE and no offense. WWE calls themselves a world company, but they market themselves only for the American audience. Yeah. I I can't imagine that they have a super savvy global marketing operation. I I think they kind of syndicate out when it comes to global distribution, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they have partners with networks, I believe. Right, right. You sort of, the way it works, if you're getting it in, like, let's say, like Russia or China or Spain or somewhere, one of the places that they're affiliated with, uh, the broadcast tables, I imagine it's just, like, sold to, uh, in Spain, like, Canal Plus, and they just air it. I don't think there's, like, a ton of hands-on WWE marketing in Spain. I could be wrong, but, but, but that's always been my impression from the company. But you're exactly dead on. I mean, Vince's... Comedic sensibilities have always been that campy, 
1960s laughing variety show, broad comedy type of stuff. And that's what this was, the the wedding thing. I mean, there wasn't, I'll, I'll put it this way. There wasn't a person watching the wedding live who didn't know exactly what was going to happen with the cake. Right. Right. No, no, nobody looked at that giant cake and went, man, I wonder if there's somebody in there. Hmm, you know, <laughs> well, I hope they eat su- all of it. <laughs> only time it's ever been a surprise has been when Tommy Lee Jones pops out in under siege. That's the only time it's, <laughs> but you know, and then, you know, and of course it also gets into that, weird Vince loves hypersexualizing things to a point yes. where you just go, Oh no, Vince, I don't want that in this, but the Liv Morgan thing where, you know, Oh, she's a lesbian. Isn't that, is it, is it that edgy? Look, look how edgy we're being right now. See, we're being edgy. We got a lesbian in a storyline. You know, it, it's that thing. It's that was so weird. <laughs> that was weird for a number of reasons, right? Nobody knew had, that wasn't coming. No one either. knew who it was when she came out. It was obvious. Like, that, like the crowd was like, what? They thought it was an extra. And, and you would think that, especially because you saw a video package yes. of Liz Morgan. Yeah, earlier that night or last week. I don't remember which one. Where she was like, I'm going to wait until my opportunity's right. I'm going to come in. I'm going to strike. And you're like, 15 minutes this later. Is, this, is, <laughs> this, is, this is that? <laughs> This is your opportunity. This is what yeah, right. Like, what, really? I'm not seeing the angle here. I think your planning is off, General. I don't think this is the time to strike. Uh, yeah, I just it's so funny because God bless WWE fans, but they do fantasy booking sometimes better than WWE does real booking. Did you see the video of the uh, live as the as the fiend type under the under the influence of the fiend type of thing? I, I didn't the see same, the video oh, of it, but, but I, I've kind of heard the, the kind of concept around this. And it makes some sense, especially if you pulled her from TV. I think that that's an interesting additional pairing to have. You could have maybe <laughs> Liv speaking for The Fiend. Yeah, and but all of, that's, all of that's kind of out the but, window at this but point. But even worse, there's, there's Sonya Deville over here going, hey, hold on. You know, I was kind of pitching stuff that might have been, you know, tasteful storylines involving my sexuality here. And here you are making it into titillation. You know, I, if I'm so no, the, the, the 90s awful reduction of same sex interaction, oh, the yeah, porn, the porn hub yes. inter- introduction. Of, yeah. Oh, another woman walks into the room. Obviously, she's going to want to make out with, each with other. both of them. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, my God. You know, I, I can't imagine being her and watching you know it's like it's like when you've been pitching a story over and over and over again and then someone comes in and puts in the cheapest dumbest version of the same story that you've wanted to of your dream story and you go that's the version you're going to make okay great you know it's like no cuz to go back David to the David Suicide point, Squad yeah if you're Sonya Deville why would you even attempt to go and pitch yeah. the WWE creative team on an actual like real world version of a same sex relationship at this point you know and now and now Vince is going to go hard the other way when someone pitches him you know a real life storyline like that and go okay what stereotype can we make you right now, uh, Sonia? Well, you know, <laughs> and, and, and whatever, whatever the lowest common denominator for that is going to be. So, yeah, it's it was there's going to be more of this. It, it, it there's here. Here's the other thing you have to kind of concede. It kind of does work for a certain. A certain audience, a lapsed fan who likes WWE and who thinks wrestling is WWE, it works for them. Yes. And it certainly makes a starker contrast between WWE and other competitive brands. Like, I think, if anything, if you're AEW and you're on the creative team over there and you watch the tail end of Raw, you go, wow, we have an even bigger bandwidth that we can occupy to get fans in the door here because there's going to be a lot of people, to your point, it's going to draw some people in and it's also going to push some people away in a strong way. Yes, happy Wrestle Kingdom, everybody. Those of you who are celebrating, that is this weekend too. I made a, made a weird joke that hey, New Japan's not going to have a giant fake cake. <laughs> and then someone came back and goes, "No, nah, they'll make it a real cake." And probably put it out there. I was like, "Oh man, don't give them ideas." But uh, yes, Wrestle Kingdom this weekend. Uh, I am going to wait to watch it. I think I think I need a bit of a 
break, I'm going to try and wait to see what, what what was worth watching versus doing like two days worth of <laughs> five hour shows. I think that'd probably be best. Um, but Liger I, retirement. This yeah, weekend. That's, yeah. Big, that's what I wanted to talk about. I had that down in my notes and I had forgotten all about it. This is big for me. I don't know oh, about sure. you. He's awesome. No, I mean, Jewish and Thunder Liger's the real life comic book character and seeing him in his peak in the 90s was like seeing an anime character only in real life. I grew up with him uh, making appearances on WCW intermittently and every time he'd come in it was always a big deal and in WCW would even save him exclusively for the pay-per-views so you would only see him on those big shows and I, there was I couldn't tell you which one it was, but there was one where I really wanted to see the Jushin Thunder Liger match, and that was my draw to get the pay per view, which was like ridiculous that I was begging my parents to buy this pay per view for me in 1990s money. No, but like Liger was the real deal, dude. He he was an awesome high flyer. I mean, you look at any sort of junior heavyweight performer that has come after Jushin Thunder Liger, and everybody's borrowed at least something from Jushin Thunder Liger, and he's like the ultimate eternally cool baby face it's all it's hard to be a cool baby face Rey Mysterio kind of on that same class of always baby face always kind of cool always beloved but I think Jushin Thunder Liger even better at that than Rey Mysterio well I mean I wasn't allowed to go to a lot of house shows as a kid because like the NWA loop was always on a Tuesday or Thursday night so it's a school night. And also this is back when number one wrestling was considered uber violent by a lot of people. And also number two, my parents just didn't approve of wrestling. So it was like one of those things where, you know, seeing Jushin Liger and I, I, I swear I'm not misremembering this, but maybe I am was on one of the first live shows I ever got to see at the Norfolk scope. And then to see him well into my adulthood um, in my 40s in a American Legion hall in Reseda for PWG <laughs> and you're just like and he was still around and he could still mostly move and he was still just awesome and I don't I don't think people got it was a lot like when Muda came into the NWA as well it, it's one of those things where it was such a such a paradigm shift of what you were used to watching that style of wrestling that now you don't understand the real influence on American wrestling. Yeah, I mean, I, I think of Liger versus Brad Armstrong, and that's like a really great illustration of the contrast. Brad Armstrong, great wrestler, obviously. Uh, but when he's wrestling Liger, I think they give him the win on a Russian leg sweep uh, in one of those <laughs> matches. Yeah, no, of course they, actually, they do. Yeah, they, they gave him the win in one of those matches. But you just see... Where wrestling was in the late 80s, late 90s, Brad Armstrong, uh, one of the great workers of that vein, kind of like a Bobby Eaton, like one of the great workers. But here comes Liger, and he's just bringing a completely different style, and, and that would get infused into the American style and really kind of set the trend of where high-flying in particular would go. I, I think the other thing you know that makes Liger so awesome as a babyface is he's able to get such a crowd attachment without having any usage of his actual face. I mean, sometimes in Japan, obviously, he had the face paint on or whatever, but largely he's working underneath the mask and he's able to create that really strong connection with the crowd underneath the mask. That's that's a talent. Oh, yeah. No, working in a mask is hard when you can't see facial expressions. It, it, it's just one of those days where you kind of have to do it with, you know, body language and yeah. shaking your head yeah. and things like that. It, it's... It's one of those things, and here comes my acting geekery, when you when you do like Commedia dell'arte, which is just nothing but mask work. You, you learn how to overemphasize other parts of your body to then help make the fact that you're wearing a mask work in terms of the various ranges of emotion. So I've always had respect for guys like that and... You know, it's like his signature La, pose, that little flexing pose yes. that he does. It's yes. both funny and badass at the same time. Like, it's funny. He's, like, pumping up, and he's, like, super strong, and he's usually one of the smaller guys in the ring. But he also looks badass, and you like it. And He's able to strike that contrast entirely with his body. A little bit more news coming out of this week on a very light week. Um, 
Charlotte Flair and Andrade are engaged. Um, <laughs> I find them a fascinating couple. I, I remember we were at the Rumble. Uh, myself and the Cat Lady were at the were at the Rumble uh, last year, and just ran into them walking the street, holding hands. And you're just like, that is a fascinating couple that I had never even thought about getting together. But uh, congratulations to them. I would kind of like them as an on-screen, like Charlotte's managing That would be Andrade. interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I, you know, I think Zelina's good and everything, and they're a good pairing as well. But I, I think that Andrade paired with Charlotte, with Charlotte kind of essentially doing Zelina's role, would probably give Andrade a little bit more clout and make his matches have a little bit more heft, whereas he's kind of felt lower mid-card to mid-card at various points and kind of stuck there, whereas I think if he was paired with Charlotte, he'd be kind of firmly cemented into the upper mid-card. I would like it in any other federation other than the WWE. Yeah, yeah, no, no. WWE's going to... They'll do stupid things with it. Well, here's here's the main reason why. She's taller than he is, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. No, I think that's right. And they can never pull that off. Like, it, 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 it... Like... You take the the prominent example I always use is Baby Doll because Baby Doll was really tall and she also wore, you know, heels. But she was also taller than most of the guys she ever managed, and they never brought that up as a as a detriment. They brought that up as a positive that she was a bodyguard for this guy. So, but in WWE, it would be emasculating. So you couldn't do it. And that, that, I, I love the idea. I just I don't see it happening. Yeah, I don't think they have the instincts to kind of guide it but if they did it could be really effective that's all i'm saying uh minor piece of actual news uh dave Meltzer reporting um speculation that the booking plan on smackdown for the revival is to make them comedy characters going into this last part of their contract (laughs) god can it be can it be worse than the uh than the shaving the back skits with the Usos? I mean, they could have a hot dog truck with ketchup and mustard at some point. <laughs> Speaking of SmackDown, we had some notable returns on this past evening. Uh, John Morrison appearing in a talking segment with Kathy Kelly. Sheamus coming out, starting a feud with Shorty G, who has a new <laughs> it's a new catchphrase, too. And I, I can't remember. It's like... Uh, small overcoming all or something like that. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And then, and then uh, to save um, Roman Reigns from having to eat dog food again at the hands of Dolph Ziggler and Baron Corbin, the Usos are now back on television in a regular uh, role. I am quite happy about that. Love me some Usos. I think the Um, Usos and Roman Reigns, it's a good way to refresh Roman Reigns and, I mean, if they wanted to change up his look, here's a really good time and kind of reorient him away from the shield Roman Reigns to being paired with the Usos. I think that's more effective. No, you make the, you make the Usos part of the shield and you call them the Samoan SWAT team. It'll be great. I like that. <laughs> that sounds new and fresh. And then Paulie comes. No. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh... We, we did want to talk a little bit about something on, on SmackDown, though, that, that you had brought up. Um, the women. <clears throat> You're kind of selling me on this Heyman pairing with the Usos and Roman Reigns <laughs> to refresh them as a well, heel faction. He, well, I, like, that would actually, <laughs> if they could do that right, that would be a really cool angle. Well, Heyman famously managed the actual Samoan SWAT team in no, WCW. I know. So it was one of those things where it's like, well, you know, and they also had him come out and tease being Roman's manager at one time. You're kind of like, well, you know what? That could work, but they're just turning everybody babyface heel now. Anyways, I mean, the, the Miz has now started his descent into darkness now that he's been beaten by the fiend and just, <laughs> he violated the sanctity of my daughter's bedroom. <laughs> You're just like, oh my God, that's the verbiage they're going to use for him? Okay, great. But uh, we wanted to talk about the women a little bit. Aunt Pam and uh, and Sasha? Boy golly, Bailey is <laughs> not finding the character. I, I, I just looked at her this week. She's got... When you were in elementary school, did you have uh, what they called school safeties? Where yes. Yeah, where they helped you kind of cross the street. Oh yeah, she no, wears. I, yeah. No, she wears the belt, 
like the school safeties did at my school, like where it's like a sash almost. And she is cajoling this crowd about their New Year's resolutions to negative heat. No one really believes that she hates them and her burns are not the not sick burns. They're healthy burns. Um, they're not doing much damage. And this whole dynamic between her and Sasha is very uncompelling and uninteresting at this point. It's a um, bad angle. Well, I'm a huge fan of Aunt Pam, as you well know. I am going to... Here, here's, are here's you a the, fan of Bailey or are you a fan of this iteration of what Bailey is doing, Aunt Pam? A little bit of both, but it's mostly... Okay. I, I'll, I'll tell you why. Because on social media... She's fantastic. On on promos on social media, she's pretty good. She's not great because you can tell she's probably a little bit too nice to be cutting heel promos. But she she has much better heel promos on social media. Here's the problem is they're not going hard enough on the role model gimmick. They're going too hard on the emo gimmick. When she comes out and she's paired with with Sasha, who is you know, Sasha's always the boss. She's always confident. She's uber confident. She's cocky. She's cocksure. She's strutting. She's shaking. She, you know, she's showing you the jewelry. She's doing all those things. Bailey from the, from the point of entrance to down the ramp is, is violet incredible in, in the Incredibles. She's the emo sullen, 13 year old who thinks boys aren't very smart and is just waiting to go to college where she'll, where she'll be appreciated for her intelligence. And she has that sad hangdog look. And then she gets into the ring to cut the promo and she's the role model. She has to be the role model from the time she comes out on camera to the point where she starts talking because the disconnect is throwing everybody off. Well, this promo wasn't even a role model promo. No, it wasn't. And that's the other part of this. I I think she's not really landing the role model kind of character like this. And I'm not saying that she needs to do like the Sandow intellectual savior of the masses, but that's a closer template to what needs to happen. She needs to go out there and talk to little girls in the audience and make them feel like crap. Sean O'Hare. Yeah. Sean O'Hare back in the day. That's what yeah. she needs to be doing here. And what she's doing, I mean, this whole promo was wonky from the get go anyways, because then Lacey Evans comes out and I think Lacey's delivery is fan freaking tastic. I think the character dressing is still a little cringe for me. Uh, she's this- the sassy Southern belle, but she's also a mother. And like, that's a little bit of a cognitive dissonance. Too. Yes. But but she's saying you keep your daughter, my daughter's name out of your mouth. And it was like, well, Bailey and Sasha didn't just bring up your daughter. You did. So there's that. You know, they last week the angle was cool because I don't mind. Look, I think Sasha bullying children is fantastic. I sure. encourage it. But she didn't bring up the kid this week. You can't bring it up now. And then it's just like, well, wait, what? She never and then and then they bring out Alexa and Nikki. And it's it's when they get introduced, it's like Oh man, Sasha was just about to say something. And oh my God, can you believe somebody's interrupting that whole thing when they do that every week? That's that's the nature of the WWE promo. And Alexa and Nikki are kind of more naturally over than Dana and Lacey too. So if you're going to try to make this the vehicle to get Lacey Evans over, you've got to really focus hard on Lacey Evans. And you, there's a lot of characterization that is not being done here. And they're just assuming the audience is going to go along with this. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, it, it has to be earned because she's spent so many weeks being such a terrible person that, that now you have to, you, you know, when, when superhero, when supervillains become superheroes, there's that certain uneasiness with uh, do they really mean it? type of thing. And that's what you have to get over with, uh, with Lacey Evans is that yes, she means that she's actually trying to be a good person now and trying to be a role model for her daughter and other things. Like you need that. a catalyst. You need an inflection point, And that's one of the things that What's has been kid? missing in this. The kid trip. is a good one. It's yeah, a good the kid one. Is, they just the kid is a good one, but like, I think they needed to, before she even start bringing the kid to the show, I think that they needed to do something else. Yeah. 
They needed, they needed Bailey to start doing that with other kids right? and then to move on to Lacey's kid. And then that would be the inflection point. Boom. There's the spark. Now I we think can Bailey going this. up to this kid and saying, I'm your role model and, you know, really kind of basically saying I'm a better role model for you than your own mother. That's a kind of very natural feud to build off of. Yeah, just give her a shirt. Give her a Bailey shirt to wear at the next uh, show. Where'd yeah. you get? Th- and that's where it starts. And then it's like, and then, then as she continues coming to more and more shows, then it becomes, oh, this is a little bit more creepy of Bailey to be, keep doing this. Yeah, my, my whole issue with Aunt Pam right now, and I love saying that because it avo- it helps me avoid the Bailey fans on social media in some ways who I love, but I also kind of go, look, I'm not criticizing her. I'm just, <laughs> but, but the, they're the all whole- characters in a large television show. Guys. Well, the, yes, the, but the whole sullen thing, like, man, I'm the champ and I got this hangdog look when I'm coming out of the ring. And then all of a sudden switching up no she she needs to have changed demeanor now she was like why does she wear the belt around her neck they've never explained that yeah yeah no that that's a good one like like look she was upset before she got the championship and now she has the championship like is is she unfulfilled by it is that the problem here yeah because i thought the whole point was she's really proud to be the champion and she's the role model so if you're the role model wouldn't the natural place for the belt be around your waist so there's a decision being made there what is that decision i couldn't tell you no i I think you're exactly i think there's just that disconnect that they need to shore up here because i like i would love cocky bailey and cocky sasha but two different kinds of cocky you know the cocky role model but also you know basically sasha over here playing rick flair kind yeah, of yeah sasha is what she's hates doing. the fans and bailey fake loves the fans yeah that would actually be kind of a fun dynamic they're playing good cop bad cop as heels with the fans every week yeah there's there, there's different dynamics it's one of those that they look down on the fans for two different reasons Sasha is doing a pretty good job, especially at house shows. Cause I, I was watching my friends at uh, the LA house show last week or on Monday, actually they had a house show Monday here against raw and she's doing the whole, I'm, I'm now rich because I have this new contract type of heel type thing. And you guys are poor. So shut up. And Bailey's over here, basically calling everybody who used to cheer for her a sheep. You know, you can't think for yourself. You're, it's a nice dynamic that they have there. They're just not doing that on TV, and it's killing me. Ah, so uh, where to go to now? <laughs> well, you want to talk about? Oh, I, okay, go ahead. Take it. Sorry, I, I had one more note here for news. Sure. Uh, the the uh, the brackets for the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, which is coming back, and which will be, I believe. Um, a heavy focus of the world's collide quote unquote non takeover takeover rumble weekend are upon us. Did they get the licensing rights to the power man 5,000 song yet? I mean, cause I feel like you have to, if you're going to keep saying worlds collide over and over again, that is a deep pull that I don't reference other than power man 5,000. Well, <laughs> it was one of their big singles, Jeff. If oh, you it? understood, yeah, the the nineties rock. Yeah, I just remember Neckbone because it was uh, a theme song in ECW. There you go. Power Man Five Thousand. That's the only way I, I'd even know who Power Man Five Thousand is. It, they might, it might have been Static X. I, I might have you, these son two of bait. a no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Wayne Static. <sighs> um, but it looks to be exclusively NXT UK versus NXT. In the brackets, the uh, first round, Imperium taking on the Forgotten Sons. <laughs> Matt Riddle and Pete Dunne taking on Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster. And then on the other side of the bracket, the Grizzled Young Veterans taking on Kushida and a mystery partner. I love how they've been saying the question marks, and now everybody's making those jokes that it's going to be Josephus coming in, but it's not. Don't worry about that. And then uh, Gallus taking on the Undisputed Era. Now, it appears that we're setting up for for the Imperium Undisputed Era clash that we have been clamoring for, Chris. But I'm going to posit something else here. I am going to call my shot, I think, and say that a team that is not entered in this tournament is going to win this tournament. A wild card, if you will? Yes. I am under the impression, and I believe this, that Leo Rush and Keith Lee are going to win this tournament. They got a pretty darn good reaction um, on the uh, on the match that was taped for uh, 
NXT. And then I believe they replayed on two five live as well. I can't remember uh, where they replayed it, but uh, I think they like this team and I think they're probably going to be inserted in at some point. Um, and probably win the dusty classic, but uh, your, your general thoughts without my wild fantasy booking in there. Okay, so if they go with Leo Rush and Keith Lee, I think it's a perfect story for this type of tournament, too. You have Keith Lee having to kind of help out Leo Rush, have Leo Rush have some really, really gutty performances early on, get slightly injured along the way here. Keith Lee has to kind of help out Leo Rush. He's the good baby face in peril. A lot of high-flying, a lot of tandem maneuvers. I think that's fun. Uh, I think... All right, you want to go match by match here? That might be a little bit easier. Well, uh, like I like my 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 thinking is like the Matt Riddle Pete Dunn team implodes and they have a feud after this and that how how we get out of that and then we have yeah, to bring in the team. I think I think that's right. So who are they facing in the first round? Uh Andrews and Webster. Yeah, I think they beat Andrews and Webster, but they lose in the second round. They implode in the second round. A lot of kind of heel versus heel stuff going on here too i like I that mean, that's kind of why i do I was too. interested in the uh forgotten sons versus imperium i think that that's gonna be like fun and aggressive like, i know we always bash the forgotten sons on here but i like imperium and the forgotten sons aren't a bad tag team i think the tag team is good I, and i think that them facing off against uh eichner and bartell is gonna be a fun match i like heel versus heel yeah i do too it's one of my favorite little talked about aspects of the Crockett cups we would watch is that, is that sometimes the booking would be screwed up a little bit for one reason or another, and you'd get a heel versus heel team and you're like, okay, cool. I'll watch, you know, I'm trying to think of a, an example, but I'll just make one up. You know, I, I'd, I'd love to see the Freebirds versus like the midnight express or something. Yeah. Or Tully and Arn taking on the Barbarian and Tijo Khan or something like that. You know, you're like, okay, let's see how the how the devious heels take out the powerful heels. Because you have Imperium and the Forgotten Sons on one side of the bracket. And even though they've semi-turned, you have Gallus and the Undisputed Era on the other side fighting each other. I find both those matches fascinating i'm excited about both of them yeah i'm really excited about gallus versus the undisputed era I'm, too i am waiting for walter to come down and take out jackson Riker, or maybe alexander wolf I'm, I'm down with that yeah absolutely no I, I think that this is these are going to be good matches they're good launching points i there's gallus versus the undisputed era has a lot of intrigue for me Th there's something about joe coffee Mark Coffey and Wolfgang as characters on screen that plays really nicely off of the way the Undisputed guys, because the Undisputed guys are so like cocky and self-obsessed and the Gallus guys are almost unadorned. And I think, I don't know. I, I really don't know if they're going to have Kushida and whoever the mystery partner is go over the grizzled young veterans. No, I think the Grizzles win. There's a part of me that just wants the Grizzles to go into this second round and really get over with a heel promo about either one of the Gallus or the Undisputed Era. I want to I want to hear Zach Gibson cut a promo in front of a hot crowd and really get them going because I love Zach Gibson. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. Who is Kushida's mystery partner going to be? I think it's going to be a debut. So I don't know who's waiting in the wings to debut, but my gut says it's a return or it's a debut. Yeah, I, I think it's it's weird because I'm under the impression that the easy call here would be Cameron Grimes. And you're doing the mutual respect angle or you know, Cameron Grimes pretends he wants to be friends and then turns on Kushida midway through the match or something like that. I'm gonna throw out a wild one and People are going to say I'm full of it, and you're probably right. But let's throw this out there. There has been a Japanese wrestler who has appeared on an NXT takeover that just happens to be very high profile and just happens to, quote unquote, be having his last match this weekend that could make a last goodbye in front of a major crowd at an NXT show named Jushin Thunder Liger, who would be of some interest, I think. That would help get Kushida going. He's felt stuck a little bit as they've been trying to build him up, and I think that the Liger rub would be good. Another name I'll throw out there is Raul Mendoza. 
I'll take that. I love Raul Mendoza here. Yeah. I mean, so and Kushida and Mendoza actually kind of like you. You could see them as a tag team unit. Like I, I think that they actually could go. If it's somebody good, then Kushida and that team have to go over the Grizzled Young Veterans, right? That's true. I mean, no, actually, that'd be interesting. So yeah, maybe that's what happens. Is you have Gibson, and that would make some sense too. Think about it like this. Gibson and James Drake are kind of on the downswing here. Gibson's been getting frustrated with Drake. So you could have Drake choke here in this match, and that would get over Kushida and Mendoza in this example here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this tournament. It's a nice little tournament. It's not, see, I'm, I'm one of those people who wants an expanded field of 16 to 32 tag teams have all across the WWE weeks. No, I'm totally fine with that. Give me a six-month tag team tournament with every team in the WWE with like a grand prize of $2 million or something. And just, just, just feed, feed my stupid tag team tournament obsession from 1989 or so. And bring it in. that would but be interesting, like right? Like having a sustaining round Robin that goes from, let's say mania through SummerSlam and kind of crescendos at SummerSlam with the top two teams finishing out that round Robin tournament and you know, you, facing you for give the titles. Some- yeah, you give some exposure to the grizzled young veterans on a Raw or a SmackDown, and you introduce who they are, and maybe some people come over to them and watch NXT UK. You bring in a 205 Live type of tag team that you'd only be able to see there, but they really just, they, they eke out a win as opposed to like steal a win, but they're, you know, they're really exciting and stuff like that. You can get over the Lorkin Birch tag team on a second hour of Raw. I mean, you, you have all these... It, I, I love the worlds collide thing, but man, give me all the worlds collide. Give me some raw and SmackDown. Ta- give me the Usos going into full sale and saying we went in on this tournament because we heard it's the best tag team. The Usos around. versus Gallus. Give me Imperium versus the Revival at some point. You know, you know, the Revival is like, look, we're about tag team wrestling. We made our bones in the Dusty Tag Tournament. We'd like to be entered. You know, just you know, make it something that doesn't feel. Like it's on the other show. And that's that's the problem with, with NXT again is is somebody goes into full sale and it's not it's still kind of minor league when they get there. You know, I, I I'm I'm a I'm a guy who likes tag team wrestling and we know Vince McMahon does not, so I should stop dreaming. Um NXT UK was okay. I there's not a lot that came out of it. If if, if you're gonna watch it the Dragon Off, Alexander Wolf, um, anything goes match is pretty darn good. And then there's some storytelling with uh, Tony Storm and Piper Niven, but they are they are giving Tony Storm a darker edge, and I am not a fan of that. Yeah, I sort of anticipated this happening. I think ultimately she gets realigned with Kaylee Ray, her mentor from all those years ago, only under kind of a dark cloud. I just I just think if you have, I mean. When she was signed, she was the hottest baby face in women's wrestling. She was rock and roll. She did the two, uh, she did the two May Young classics. She was a rock star in both of them. Put the rocket behind her and let's go. <laughs> I mean, that, that's all you got to do. And then they, they, they do the half push and they wonder why she's not as hot of a star as she used to be. And then they go turn her heel. I mean, that's 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 the thing with everybody. It seems I'm just I'm a little frustrated by that. Really. Because I, I want stars, I want wrestling to be bigger, but, you know. Um, I'm, I'm more puzzled of- by this Ashton Smith and Oliver <laughs> Carter defeating the Outliers thing. I mean, these guys, look, we know that they don't have big plans for Riddick Moss. And Dorian Mack's probably not someone they have a big push planned for under the Dorian Mack character. I think if they're going to do it, they're going to repackage him like they tend to do for a bigger push and actually what they've already done here because he was Dan Matha and now he's Dorian Mack but I think he would get a third name if they were ever going to utilize him like that this makes no sense though you've presented these guys as the outliers and Ashton Smith and Oliver Carter Oliver Carter you gave all these fancy promo packages to leading up to him losing multiple weeks in a row and being presented as a general loser and Ashton Smith is the whoop guy you know (laughs) I think those were my exact words, the whoop guy, because I couldn't remember his name. Every time he does it, it reminds me whenever I watch 
pay-per-views, especially on WCW from like 1991 or 1992, whenever Whoop There It Is came out, the crowds would chant that. And it's so weird to hear now. Oh, crowds loved PN News. <laughs> yo, baby, yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. I mean, it, it's uh, look, there's something about interaction with wrestling that will make bad or mediocre acts far more famous than they ever have a right to be. See Enzo and, and Cass. See the yeah. New Age Outlaws. I mean, no, no, no. You know what? With Enzo and Cass and the New Age Outlaws, you had quality probos from both of those guys. Those guys were charismatic. Road Dog and Enzo, right? Like, I'm not like defending Enzo Amore as a person or anything like that. I'm just saying, like, that guy, especially in NXT, had a very over presentation. And was really connecting with people. And Road Dog Jesse James, once he found the ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, once he found that gimmick, that was connecting with people. That's far more compelling than whoop, whoop, <laughs> whoop. That, like, don't, don't sit here and get relativistic on those two things. Don't sit here and get relativistic on those two things, Hawkins. Okay, okay, no, a point well you're, made. You're upsetting me. You're making me lose my voice. In, in, a normal, in a normal world, the outliers were sent to UK to get some seasoning in anticipation of going on NXT and getting a push. Or they were sent there because there wasn't enough room on NXT to get a push. Here, I don't... You're exactly right. This is baffling to me because on the Largo circuit... They have uh, Robert Strauss, who's the former uh, Robbie E, who hosted the podcast with Matt Kuhn, I believe, and, and, and had to give that up to go to WWE to be a manager. So he's a manager. He has a gimmick. You see him sometimes in all the NXT crowd shots. They don't send him with the outliers to NXT UK, probably because they don't want to present it as an official package, but then they send those two over to lose. Are they going to bring them back over and then push them? Cause that's the only thing I can think of other than maybe it's Robbie <laughs> E or whatever his name is like Robert Strauss. Uh, maybe he turns the corner for them. He gives them the management they need. Like that's, yeah, that's a way of kind of getting momentum going again for these guys. But I just don't understand bringing them over to job out to Ashton Smith and Oliver Carter because who have what no are we, value. What are we doing with no these guys? Yeah, yeah, they have no upside. I mean, Making have... them, if, if you thought Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster was kind of a dead babyface tag team champion duo, if you put the belts on Ashton Smith and Oliver Carter, they're going to be deader than a dead fish. We, we, have, we have this kind of pool of guys in this same situation where we're told – they have something, and then we never—they never really build on. The, uh, Kenny Williams, um, Amir Jordan, uh, these two, a little bit of Webster and and uh, and Mark Andrews. Um, on the other side, of course, you have the <laughs> the fantastic Joseph Connors, who again was on this week, uh, popping into an interview. Uh, you know, you you have this kind of morass of guys. In this, in this not quite a star type of situation, and you're just like they just put them on TV to wrestle, and you're not really sure what you should do with them. You know, you you kind of had a little thing with Legero, and Legero got uh, got crushed by Cassius Ono this week, so that was fun because Cassius, Cassius Ono is doing the wrestling expert gimmick uh, to a T again in the UK, which. <laughs> I enjoy yeah. him when he's talking about wrestling moves on Twitter. I think the, those are some of the more interesting insights from all of wrestling Twitter. He's just there, a, there's he's the Kushida. Follow. There's the Kushida tag team partner. I want to bring him out and go, you know what? I know these guys from the UK and I'm a UK wrestling expert. I'll, I'll wrestle with you. Kushida. Um, yeah, I, I, there's too many tag teams being broken up in my fantasy booking scenario there, but yeah, I mean, NXT UK, it just, I, in 2020, I want to see them tell me why it's important. And um, I don't know if TakeOver Blackpool 2 is going to do that, per se. I don't know if Walter and Joe Coffey is the top-lining feud that can 
you know, they can get more than casual eyeballs over to the product, but I'm willing to go along with it for the next couple weeks. I think if you're looking at this roster, coffee and Walter is really the best they've got to offer at this point. The Dragonoff thing, I think Dragonoff has been cooled off to the point where Ilya Dragonoff versus Walter is not any more of a draw than Joe Coffey versus Walter. I disagree. I think I think Devlin and Walter would be Yeah, no, I okay. Yes, I agree, Devlin and Walter. I don't know that they see Devlin like that, but I, I I'm no. with you. I think Devlin is the guy. But you know, Devlin Devlin should just be moved up into the main event picture the same way Coffee is. I think Devlin, Coffee, and Walter is an interesting three-way dynamic. Yeah, I mean we saw it in the exit WXW, I believe it was promos. I might be getting my European wrestling federations wrong, but that was one of the hottest feuds of the last couple of years was Devlin trying to get a win over Walter and David Starr being in the way. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'd, I'd take, I'd take the blind, I'd take the, uh, and I'd take the blinders off of Zach Gibson. I'd let him just cut whatever promo he wanted. And I'd take the blinders off of uh, Devlin and let him cut whatever promo he wanted and see if it sparks something. And but, an interesting mid-card feud would be Zach Gibson versus Jordan Devlin. If you wanted to start turning Jordan Devlin face, having him doing promos against Zach Gibson, I think would be pretty cool. Oh, I like Devlin as a heel. I, I, I think I think that's where his money is. I Well, I mean, like, look, if you're talking about elevating him into the main event picture here, especially against Walter, he's ultimately going to have to end up as the sympathetic figure. Are you sure about that? Walter is the leader of Imperium, the top faction in W or in NXT UK. I, I, yeah. Unless you're going to have, if you're going to have Devlin dismantle Imperium, that's going to get him over as a babyface. If you're going to have Devlin get attacked by Imperium, that's going to get him over as a babyface. That's true. No, no, you're right. I, I was just thinking because Devlin is such a good jerk. I mean, it's so hard to get a good jerk on professional wrestling these days. And Walter's more of the big. He's more of the quiet, look, you know what I can do to you. I can yeah, kill you. Yeah. He's a bully. But he's not but he's not a bully that's he, he's not prone to using his bulliness to in, insert himself into situations where he doesn't belong. You know what I'm saying? He's not the bully that goes around going, I'm the bully, you need to respect me. He's the bully who you know if he's walking down the hall, you get out of his way. But he's not looking to walk down the hall just so that you know he's there type of bully, if, if, if that makes any sense. He's not he's not flashy about his bulliness. He's just, he's right. the elephant no, in the sense. room. Yeah. I think if you're talking about who the main event picture should be in NXT UK, I, I think it should be Devlin. I think it should be Joe Coffey. I think it should be Walter. And I think it should be Zach Gibson. And Zach Gibson and Walter, to me, especially Gibson, Gibson should be a forever heel, right? Like, the idea of Gibson going face to me seems to be utterly counterproductive. Yes. And Walter is mostly a big bully, but because he's reserved, I think you can sometimes make him a baby face. But he clearly operates better as a heel, especially given the size of this roster. Like, you know, who's going to be the natural person for him to be baby faced with, especially as long as Imperium is together. But I think with Coffee and Devlin, these are the two guys who you can kind of, you know, flip the switch on as needed, um, given specific dynamics. And I would add it's been two and a half to three years. It's time to reignite the the spark that was Tyler Bate again. Also true. Right. Because it feels like after that first set of matches with Dunn, where Dunn took the championship from him, Tyler Bate just kind of became a guy. He, I mean, he, he was he was well respected. They 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 loved him with Mustache Mountain. He's over with Mustache Mountain. Don't get me wrong. He's a he, that tag team is great, but he was an absolute superstar, and now he's a guy in search of getting his mojo back. And I think it's time to make him a centerpiece of this NXT UK brand as opposed to British strong style being a centerpiece of this NXT UK brand. I think they should do a Rocky four angle with mustache mountain where Trent gets a title <laughs> shot and He's Walter, Apollo Creed. <laughs> yes. Walter Apollo creeds him. Oh and that's what gets Tyler Bate going again. I, now I, now I want, now I want Trent seven in the uncle Sam top hat 
Coming out to live in He comes America. out in the Union Jack thing. Uh, he's oh, like the super Union Jack, yes. He's like way hot. They have him like beating people going into this match. He's so ready for it. And Walter, oh. like clean, like no help from Imperium or anything. Tyler's just ringside and watches Trent get demolished by Walter. So, and that's so, what sets up the angle. Oh, if somebody in WWE could make a knockoff of living in America, except being about living in the UK, and Trent Seven's coming out there dancing. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, that'd be the angle of the year. Um, Tyler, I don't know how many more of these I got left in me. I got to go out there. I got I one feel more. Alive <laughs> again. I feel alive again. I feel like I'm 20 again. Yeah. Oh and, then my we, God. And, then we, and then we get sullen flashbacks of of Tyler and and Trent running down the beach training and 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 you know doing homoerotic hugs in the waves. <laughs> it ends with the Eye of the Tiger or some knockoff of Eye of the Tiger. Oh, yes. Please, 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 please take our idea. Um, anyways, we bladdered on long enough because we were trying to fill a show. You can follow me at Crap Game 13. You can follow Chris at Chris Novembrino. You can follow the show itself at Shake Them Ropes. In addition to it being Royal Rumble season, it's also turning into primary season. Chris does some political podcasts and some socially conscious podcasts. He'll tell you about them right now. Yeah, the All the Family podcast has been on a little bit of a break. I don't know when we're going to relaunch, but we will at some point here. Uh, but if you want to check the, out all... What? Did you do the live show is what I was going to ask. No, we didn't. Things uh, have been tough with um, my co-host and I getting stuff booked recently because she's moved. So like that's been affecting production. Um, but don't worry about the government. You can hear over at Don't Worry TV on the Family Podcast. You can listen to anytime. It's still good. So uh, check that out at the All in the Family Podcast.com. We will be back soon enough. Um, so now's a great time to catch up if you wanted to do such a thing. You can find me at Chris Novembrino. 2020 is in full vision, Chris. Ugh. <laughs> ha ha ha!